Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today I'm joined by a special guest and it has me a little more excited than, than, than well, not, not more excited than everyone, but actually I'm lying, a little bit more excited than other people that I've on just because of the topic at hand. Today we're sitting down with Ali Gilbert and Ali Gilbert is, I guess we would call you like a men's health expert, right? Is that is that fair to say? I, I guess like I, I would never say I'm a self-proclaimed expert because I feel like- That's why I said expert. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> An expert is somebody, I guess, who has stopped learning or has mastered their craft in a sense. And, and I don't feel like I'm anywhere near that. So I use the term specialist because people do say, like, what do you say you do? And I'm like, I guess I'm like a men's health specialist because I'm not a doctor, but I'm still a fitness professional. So yeah, it, I'm in this weird, like hybrid position where I, I blur the line where you're not supposed to blur the line, but I do it anyway. Yeah, you 100% blur the line. And that's why I'm excited to have you on the on the show today. Um, Ali's clientele is mostly going to be men working with men's health, but you've been recognized in, in many different areas within the fitness industry. Um, Golf Digest had you as top 50 trainers, which is, I didn't realize you made the cut. I was like, oh, she's pretty important, but I don't think it's that important. But going from, from golf fitness to, to men's health specifically, that's quite the transition. Would you say all your business now is, is mostly with men? Uh, yeah, I've got, I think, three or four female clients. But yeah, the majority is guys. And that's how I really got into it was from golf fitness. Golf fitness brought me like all men because guys seek out golf fitness. And where I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut was very wealthy and we had nine golf clubs. Uh, and, and that's what guys wanted. And they were type A and like really would do anything to improve their golf game. So, so, so that's how you got into coaching men and testosterone from golfers. <laughs> yeah. It makes no sense. Right. Everyone's like, how do you wait? What? And I'm like, all right, well back up. So like being in strength conditioning, we all want to train athletes. Like that's everybody's, you know, dream. So then we all soon realize. I don't know. I personally did not want to make 20 grand a year for several years working my way up. I was like, this kind of sucks. So um, I, I was like, you know, golf is a sport that's becoming more, more popular with strength and conditioning protocols. Um, because usually like mem- remember when I, well, when I was in high school, cause I'm 40, like the golf team was like, Oh, they're not cool. They're losers or whatever. And now like you're super cool. Like you're like, Oh wow. You're on the golf team. So golfers are training more, especially as Tiger Woods kind of popularized it in the nineties. And I was like, well, this is cool because this is a sport and this attracts people that can afford to train that train like athletes, because they literally will do the work. They're very type a, they're very driven. So I was like, let me do this. And I took all the Titleist performance Institute certifications, went through all their training. This was in like 2008. And so I started training pretty much all men, like all these, uh, wall street, like, you know, billionaire CEOs or whatever, very driven guys 
who knew absolutely nothing about nutrition, about supplementation, about hormones. They never talked about it. Guys in general, don't talk about this with one another. Like you're not at the gym and you're like, yo, uh, I think my test is low. So I'm like taking this supplement. Cause like, I couldn't get it up the other night. Like that's not how you guys hang out and chat. If it does, I haven't heard it. You yeah. know, I haven't heard anyone say it yet. So I was like, okay, these dudes are like haphazardly taking supplements that they think will boost their test. This is a problem. So I started learning everything I could about men's health, which is the advice I had gotten from several coaches or business coaches saying, learn one thing more than anyone else, and you will become the person to go to for that. And so that's what I did. And here I am. And it's very rewarding helping guys because I think they feel comfortable talking to a female about this because I'm in a position where I'm recognizing that this is a very common issue, even though it may not be normal, Mm -hmm. but also I'm not their wife or girlfriend pushing them because nobody listens to their spouse when it comes to like health or nutrition. So yeah, I knew you were an expert. So so I guess, yeah, that's how like, you know, I kind of got into it because everyone asks me, they're like, how did you get into this? And then what does golf fitness have to do with this? And I'm like, actually a lot. (laughs) Okay. So let's, let's talk about the stuff that you know now. And I want to start off just with the idea of testosterone. You have a testosterone school an online kind of program they have for people because you you know a lot about testosterone and i saw you at the the raise the bar conference uh, about two or three weeks ago and one of the first things that you started talking about was today's man has lower testosterone than you know 20 30 40 years ago so why is that and how how much lower so it's been declining about one percent per year since 1982 so it's about 40% in the past 40 years and it's steep um, and it continues mm-hmm. to decline. And one of the reasons is in Canada and in the U S just a sedentary lifestyle that is dependent upon technology as well as fast food and low quality of certain healthcare uh, avenues and basically just overall obesity has massively contributed to this because we don't move anymore. We don't have to walk anymore. We don't have to do, we actually don't have to do anything. Like we can stay at home and press buttons and have stuff ordered to us. Mm -hmm. So it's obviously, you know, utilizing our Mm -hmm. basic fitness is like not, it's obsolete. So that contributes to it. In addition to a lot of these chemicals that are in our environment, like plastics and phthalates and parabens and xenoestrogens, which live in like plastic Tupperware and live in products that we put on our skin, shampoo, shave gels, stuff like that. Like we can't escape that. So it's this onslaught against our hormones that we're now suffering the ramifications from because when all this stuff was invented, like when they test these products, they test them and they basically use the smallest amount possible that they can use where there's no detectable issue, but Mm -hmm. the issue isn't the acute exposure. It's the overtime exposure to these small amounts of things that can wreak havoc in our bodies. Similar to how with women's birth control, we now know 30 years later, all the issues with that and how detrimental to women's health that is. And that's synthetic hormones. That's now in our 
water supply system that we can't necessarily filter out with a typical like Brita filter. So, so those are kind of the big rocks that are pushing against uh, men because men are, you know, to be active, to use the muscle that they have, which will help maintain more optimal testosterone levels is, is not present anymore. So it's a problem. And mm. yeah, we're is all there, at war. <laughs> who's, who's the biggest, who's the biggest uh, contributor? Like, what do you think it is? Is it going to be shaving gels? Is it going to be deodorants? Is it going to be a product in fast food? Uh, honestly, I, I think it's more the lifestyle stuff. Um, because inflammation and insulin resistance are such big problems that nobody really understands the ramifications of not fixing your lifestyle. And we've seen this throughout the past, I don't know, what are we on year six of the pandemic? Like we've seen how not taking care of yourself has people scared to death to leave their house, to do anything around any other person for fear that they're going to die when it's been explicitly communicated that if you have certain comorbidities, which are the same comorbidities that lower testosterone, that you can actually do something about that and it lowers your risk. But even even the threat of death does not motivate people. It sounds like it's the pandemic of testosterone then. <laughs> it's yeah, kinda, it really it's is. Similarities, and, right? And now they're showing like <clears throat> studies where guys who had COVID have lower test levels, lower sperm production. Like it, it's a little crazy. I don't know a ton on that. So I can't really comment further, but mm. I've been sent studies showing this and I'm like, oh my God, like it's just this never ending um, epidemic, but it is an epidemic. That's why I named my presentation, the testosterone epidemic, because it truly is a problem. And it's like, I don't know what else to tell you. Like when I coach guys, I'm very direct with them. I'm like, listen, you have to address this. There is no pill, no shot, no promise that is this rapid transformation that is going to do for you what getting your shit together will. And sometimes that requires seeing their blood work and being like, you are going to die mm-hmm. unless you do something about it. So, so let's talk a little bit about testosterone itself. What is testosterone? So it's a very vital hormone for men. Men and women have testosterone. Both of us need it, but it's really the one that gives men their drive, their motivation, their focus, their energy, their male characteristics. And it's basically, we call it like the winning hormone because it just makes a man a man. And Mm -hmm. so without that, many guys will feel lethargic, low motivation, inability to put on muscle mass. They, they lose the focus and drive like a big, big, uh, um, complaint from, some of my guys who feel they may be experiencing low T is they're like, you know, I don't have the same passion for my job or for my family that I used to have. And and they they hate that Mm -hmm. they don't want to be taking an antidepressant. They don't want to take any pill to kind of bandaid and then upregulate, you know, neurotransmitters to create a false feeling that they've lost. It's really more, they're just losing their testosterone. And so they feel kind of more timid, more needy, like less, less, um, prone to actually take action and decide stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing they want to reclaim. And that's, I think what a lot of guys don't realize they lose until they lose it. And they're just like, what? Yeah. 
It was interesting that you mentioned that it also affects motivation. I've heard different physicians talk about testosterone and its effects on depression and anxiety. And they found that people with lower levels of test also are more likely to suffer from depression and anxiety. Is this true? hundred percent. And then quite often when guys do go to the doctor, especially if it's a, a primary care physician or somebody who does not specialize in hormone replacement, they complain about these symptoms and they get handed an antidepressant. They don't even test hormones and they actually should just test hormones. And that actually makes it worse. So it, it there are a lot of parallels because when you're feeling like brain foggy and just not motivated to do anything and maybe carrying more body fat than you never really had before. And just feeling that overall, like malaise, yeah, you're not going to be very happy. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned before about, you know, testosterone is a hormone found in men and found in women. Mm-hmm. What are uh, ideal or what are good ratios that we should be looking for, you know, from a healthy male and a healthy female perspective? Because I think testosterone, um, I don't know about you, well, you would know more than me, but working in the gym setting, anytime the T word comes up, people automatically think of that's an anabolic steroid. And they mm-hmm. dismiss the fact that, you know, it's found in the human body. I'm like, well, well, women have testosterone. No, no, no that's the male hormone. Well, hold on a sec, rewind. Right? <laughs> so what, what's optimal, what, what's healthy for men and what's healthy for women? Um, I totally should have converted for the, the Canadian numbers, but so in, in the U.S., we use nanograms per deciliter and, and like the range in both Canada and the U.S. is huge. So um, it, it's this arbitrary range that continues to decline. So like there's three main labs in the U.S. that have lowered their ranges because guys are showing up with lower levels. Mm-hmm. And it, it basically just makes it harder to obtain treatment if you're going through insurance, which you don't want to do in the United States. Canada is actually really difficult to obtain treatment. Um, Pretty much any country, it's pretty difficult unless you go black market. Um, You know, one thing, even one thing that's changed over the years with uh, Canada and uh, blood pressure. So blood pressure, healthy norms, they've changed the numbers. They've risen them. Yeah. They've risen them saying that, oh, these are healthy, but they weren't. Th- th- those numbers weren't healthy in the nineties. They were unhealthy. And now it's like, they're, they're healthy because people on average are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. That and blood glucose. Like I, I think a client of mine showed me that his life insurance would accept 130 fasted blood glucose. And I was like, really <laughs> That's interesting. Um, we don't want that. Like we don't want to really pass like, you know, 95. Um, but, uh, so for, with the ranges, like in the U S it, it would typically, if you're over 500 nanograms per deciliter, you're considered in a good spot. Most mm-hmm. guys are going to be below that and it doesn't even matter your age anymore. So the range starts around like 220 and goes upwards of like 900. So if you're in there, there, anywhere in there, you're considered quote normal and I tell everyone, you don't want to be normal. You want to be optimal because you could be 30 years old with a test level of like 225 and you feel like shit, but you're told you're normal and sent on your way. Mm -hmm. So that is a problem within itself because it's completely objective in a lot of different physicians offices, but you really have to lay on the subjective. Like you could have a test level of 700 and still be symptomatic. Some guys need higher levels 
than others. And total testosterone doesn't tell the whole story. You want to have a free testosterone as well. And that should be upwards of like 20, 30, 40. So for women, it's more around like between 20 and 40. And it's also, again, very highly subjective too, because you can be, be symptomatic. Everyone is different. So it's so important, like, especially with testosterone, like this range is just, it's arbitrary. It's stupid, but nobody has created a range for guys on TRT versus guys not on TRT. So it's like, if you go on TRT, you're still being compared to the range that they use for everybody else. And these ranges are created as an average of everyone sick, overweight, like, you know, metabolic syndrome, older, younger, whatever. So, but do you think these ranges are also, you know, based on decade? So they're like, what are the averages today? Cause you said, you know, it's declined about 40% since the eighties. So yep. we're no longer being compared to the eighties, correct? Yeah. So the range used to start around 350 and now it starts around the lowest is 193 here. Okay. So you, you talked a little bit about, um, the mental aspects of having low testosterone as a male and how it can affect you. You've got no get up for your job, no more drive. What are some of the physical um, side effects or attributes that happen when your testosterone levels are low? Um, so usually it's fat storage patterns that are a little bit more female. So guys will get an increase in belly fat, hip fat, maybe chest fat as well. Mm -hmm. And it'll be just more difficult to either retain or put on muscle. And I don't want that to be confused with a scapegoat for not training hard and not actually putting in appreciable time to build muscle. I think those are two different issues. I think that's a whole nother topic too. Um, but it can be a little bit more difficult if guys have like zero tests and they're trying to build muscle in the gym, because it'll also impact recovery mm -hmm. and they're not going to be, be able to recover as well. And so that is kind of like a vicious cycle because they're lethargic. They're not motivated, but they're starting to not look the way they want to look. However, they don't have the motivation to go change it. And so it just continues and continues. If someone doesn't have the motivation to take action, do steps or change their current levels, is a go-to TRT right away? Like how would you work with someone in that scenario? Are you like, hey, listen up, fucker. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you going. I have a feeling. I've, when I saw your Jeep, I had a feeling. I was like, that, that's probably the angle you might go to first. But I could be wrong. <laughs> it, it, it's more like, you know, all right, what are we dealing with? So typically the, the biggest guys suffer the most. So those who have a lot of body fat. They, they actually, it's a detriment to put somebody who's around 25 plus percent body fat on TRT because it can have more of an inflammatory response. So you want to get their body fat down and kind of do this like GPP for TRT that I like to call it and get them as healthy and resilient as possible. Sometimes they have to get their shit together dietary wise. So yes, it's not motivating to get nutrition together and everybody struggles with nutrition. The easy part is going to the gym. If you're accountable to somebody, it obviously helps. So I won't start with training, you know, four days a week, maybe we're like two days a week to start. We start with going for 10 minute walks and we really hammer the nutrition. We have to get the body fat down mm -hmm. and I'll go there and I'll go at them with that. Very few times have 
somebody, have I had someone where they go on testosterone just to get that motivation to get themselves going, which probably could be utilized more often than not. But again, like I want somebody in the best position possible going into this because it is a lifelong commitment. So it's like a double-edged sword, but most people have really not gotten their shit together as far as nutrition and nutrition can play a major part in getting somebody motivated the right way and getting them up off their ass to get into the gym to start feeling better. Um, what's optimal or what's a good standard from a nutrition perspective to affect testosterone? So like, I don't know if you guys have, um, oysters Mm and where you are. So, um, you know, down here, oysters are like one of those things. They're like, it's an aphrodisiac. It's great for men's hormones. Uh, is there any utility to that or what's good nutrition to, to help someone's testosterone? Yeah, like that's true because oysters have a high zinc content and zinc basically works as a weak, like estrogen blocker in a sense that it, it will increase test levels, but doesn't mean you're supposed to block estrogen. You know, my Mm -hmm. rant on that, Mm -hmm. um, but there is some, something to be said about that. So what I would say is like, it's funny because most women get pegged with under eating and being nutrient deficient all my guys come to me not eating enough for what they're doing. And it really, it just is not something they talk about. Like women are social about it. Women like dieting. Women have been conditioned to be smaller and smaller and smaller. When guys want to cut weight or get leaner, they cut all the calories. They -hmm. feel like shit. They cut mostly carbs and then they end up softer and then they don't know why. And usually the answer is let me cut more calories and I'm going to up the cardio. And then that results in them being hungrier, binging, not talking about it. And then it all goes to the belly fat. Like it's the same cycle with everybody. Mm -hmm. So for me, I like to have my clients on a very high protein diet, carbs, moderate, basically if they have to fuel a very hard training program or something else, we'll go higher with the carbs and then moderate to low fat. I'm not one of like the high fat zealots. I don't think we need all the fat. I think we went a little bit excessive crazy on that. Um, a lot of guys do very well with low fat and higher carb. And, and I would say like, when I have somebody who I, I don't call it bulking, but I, I would call it like eating for performance, mm-hmm. their fat levels, depending on their size and all of that are upwards of like 70 to like maybe 120. When I have a guy dieting, I have had guys in the low 35, 45 range. People freak the fuck out when they hear that. And I'm like, okay, go talk to the top physique athletes and ask them what they did to strip the last of the fat off. You have to suffer. Mm -hmm. So this whole like, you know, oh my God, if you eat below whatever calories for a week, you're going to end up in metabolic damage. Like, no, there's a way to intelligently set it up. So you have to make sure that somebody's not micronutrient deficient either. So get them on a high quality multivitamin, get them eating, you know, fish, or if they're not fish oil, have them having, you know, vegetable intake. And then red meat is amazing. It's one of the most nutritious things out there. Get them eating that. And then I think you've got a good plan and you can't really go wrong with white rice. It digests very well. It's delicious. You know, mm-hmm. if someone wants sweet potatoes or potatoes over that, cool. Have at it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever worked with anyone who um, their nutrition was more of a carnivore, nose to tail, 
high, high animal muscle meat intake, animal organ intake, and how would that affect uh, their, their uh, testosterone or health in general? No, I have. Yeah, actually, I have a new client um, who is eating pretty strict carnivore with a little bit of carbs. And he he wanted to eat that way because he couldn't really pay attention to doing anything crazy for his body comp for about a year because he was working on his business. And he retained a lot of his muscle and he feels really good. And a lot of people who go that route feel pretty good, usually because they have some sort of GI issue. Mm -hmm. So it takes away any issues digesting stuff and whatever, because it allows them to, you know, just be very simple. Mm -hmm. I think when you eliminate stuff that bothers the gut, even vegetables can bother somebody, you know, cruciferous veggies, anything in excess too. Like everyone wants to get, get fiber in. And it's like, if you hammer like a bag of broccoli or cauliflower, like really fuck you up. (laughs) Yeah, it will. I mean, they're pretty they're gassy. It's gassy vegetables, right? Yeah. They're going to do that to you. This guy hasn't done labs yet. Um, so I don't know his test levels, but if you are on a very low carb diet for a long time, it can lower tests because it increases sex hormone binding globulin, Mm -hmm. which is a glycoprotein that just binds testosterone to it. So Mm -hmm. more testosterone that's bound to that, the less you have circulating in your body. And that can just be mitigated by eating carbohydrates again. So mm-hmm. I, I've actually transitioned him to eating carbs, but strictly around his training because I didn't want to like give him this massive onslaught of carbohydrates. Number one, if you haven't had a carbohydrate in a while, your body doesn't produce the enzymes to digest it. So if you give someone a massive amount, they're, they're going to feel awful. Mm-hmm. So, so far he's tolerating it pretty well and will continue to add and then I'll continue to increase the volume of his training so that we can start kind of recomping throughout the year. Cause he, he gave me a year, which is great. And it's like, he's like the ideal client. He's like, I'm not in a rush. I know this takes a long time. So I'm willing to do that. I just kind of want to get a little bit more cut. I want my abs to show a little more. He's pretty jacked right now. And he wants to gain a little size, mm-hmm. which is great. Cause it's like, everyone knows that fat loss is really quick, but then muscle gain takes ever. Mm-hmm. And he's natural too. So doing it naturally is going to take even longer. So ha- having someone who appreciates that it takes a while makes my life so much easier. You, yeah. You just mapped out the dream client. <laughs> they just said everything that you don't have to say, right? Because they, exactly. they come in and they're like, oh, I want everything, but I'm going to give you 90 days. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not your girl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's interesting. I, I'd, I'd be interested to see what happens down the road with a client like that. Um, I know that the, the zinc is, is high in certain animal organs like liver, right? So people who tend to go nose to tail and, and, and from a personal perspective, I do eat animal organs and, you know, working with clients, I've actually worked with clients who have acid indigestion, they've heartburn. And once we've modified a few things, including incorporating animal organs, some of those symptoms have gone away and they've lost some body fat. But I've I've never known if there was any implication or uh, effect on testosterone. Just be interesting to see. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like um, one of the practitioners, David Lee, who I did an interview with in testosterone school is really big on that. He lives in Lithuania. So he he eats raw liver and raw milk uh, and organs quite often. And he got me on, like, I, I take the ancestral supplements, liver and beef organ caps, because I, I can't be bothered to eat that shit. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you really, you got to go to a butcher that it's like grass fed, grass finished, like, you know, yeah. where it came from type of thing. And plus ugh, I just, I can't stomach it. Other people are bigger men than I am. My balls are not that big. So, uh, you know, I give, I give you a lot of credit for eating that, but it's kind of like a great adjunct to a multivitamin because you're getting the nutrients, like you said, from a place that is very difficult, like it's very high in vitamin A, it's very high in, you know, choline, like you're not going to get that from eating like a 6,000 egg yolks, who's going to do that a day, like stuff like that. So <clears throat> you talked a bit before about how behaviors affect testosterone, whether it's going to be our environment, some of the chemicals and stuff that we ingest, whether it's going to be you're just not working on a regular basis. How does sleep affect testosterone levels on people? Oh, it's, uh, it has a big effect. So I think it's so funny. Cause like the discussion around sleep, like, yeah, we, we got to get more sleep, uh, like great. Now we can track it. So now we actually know, because we used to say, yeah, I go to bed at 10. Sure. You can go to bed at 10, but no one knows when you actually fall asleep and no one knows what sleep cycles you go through and what quality it is. And so I personally love the aura ring because I can see you know, how much REM, how much deep, all of that. But the studies they've done on guys where they took guys for a week and, and they had five hours of sleep or less, and they lost about 15% of their testosterone, which is a pretty big amount. Mm. Um, and I think people may get confused with chronic sleep deprivation or like one shitty night. So like the other night I got five hours. I felt like shit the next day, but I was like, I'm still going to the gym. So even if your sleep tracker yells at you one night, one bad night, like if you go to the gym, you're not going to lose all your muscle and like melt. <laughs> it's when it's continuously sleep deprived state relying on stimulants and you're impairing your body to tolerate carbohydrates. That's when it becomes a problem because then you become insulin resistant automatically lowering testosterone. And so your body becomes more inflamed and the more inflamed state, less testosterone. So mm -hmm. it does affect it pretty massively. So there are like, I've had clients, like I did a consult with a guy yesterday. I said, until you get your sleep fixed, you really don't belong in the gym because it's not going to do anything for you. You can't recover. He snores massively. He's overweight. I was like, if you, if you, hammer your, your nutrition and when you go get your sleep test, then we can talk about what to do in the gym, mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't make any sense to hammer yourself in the gym mm -hmm. if you can't recover from it. And it, it's, yes, it's a tedious thing. It's like, all right, now I got to make an appointment to do a sleep test and blah, blah, blah. But like, I'll tell you what, I will go as far where I've had clients do blood glucose tests and they're like 115, 120 whenever they eat carbs, they feel like they hold water. They just feel like crap all the time. They get their sleep test done. Oh, I sleep like shit. Well, yeah, duh. I could have told you that. So we rectify that. They get either like a CPAP or a mouth guard, or it's taken care of. They sleep better. They drop that quote water weight. They can mm. tolerate carbs better. And it's like this magic thing but it's like, yeah, I get it. Nobody wants to get a sleep test done. I mean, in the U S we can get, we can do it at home. You can take home this like headset and whatever. Oh, no, but we usually here in Canada, you have to go in, you have to go in, they hook you all up the electrodes. You have to spend a night. And, yeah. uh, 
I've never, I've never had one done, but you know, my, my, my wife had one done. We talked about it and just the ex- explanation. It's kind of like, as if aliens got you right. And they're going to run all these tests. She's like, nobody is going to sleep good. I don't care the best sleeper in the world. You walk into this room, they got all these things. And I said, okay, all right, whatever. But I mean, that's how it's done here. We don't get to bring that test home. You, I mean, you can, I think it's, more accurate if you go in and spend sure. the night, but it, it's like again, it, it it's just one more thing to do. And if you have kids, you have to like organize or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it can be life saving. And like if any of my guys snore, I'm like, all right, you, you really do need a sleep test because any type of snoring is like a mild apnea. Yeah. So you're robbing yourself mm-hmm. of oxygen, number one, but also your ability to build muscle, recover, and keep your testosterone levels optimal. Yeah, CO2 levels just spike right up if you're a mouth yeah. breather over a nasal breather, and then inflammation is driven up, and then I'm sure that that is a spiral effect with test too. Big time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Testosterone, how does it affect or how does it differ with youth? And what I mean by that is, are you seeing, are you aware of if people are, are hitting puberty, girls or guys or both at earlier ages in today's society, or delayed puberty? Is that happening? Yeah. Um, oof, big topic to tackle. So <clears throat> what do I start with that? So girls are hitting puberty and getting their menstrual cycle earlier at like eight, which is crazy. Um, yeah. and basically everything starts in pregnancy and because of the exposure of all these fake estrogens and everything, it does affect the fetus where there, there was like that finger test where if like the index finger is bigger than the ring finger, you've been exposed to more testosterone when you were, you were with your mom. Um, there's also <laughs> the test that I like to bring up. I can't remember if I talked about this to raise the bar, but uh, it's called the anogenital distance. And it's this is distance between the scrotum and the anus. You so, did not bring that up. I would have remembered. I totally should have. <laughs> I have a great slide for it. Uh, like my initials are AG and it's like AG distance. So <laughs> funny. Um, but that distance, the, the farther it is, the more testosterone a guy has been exposed to. And so my joke is like, all right, you're all going to go measure yourselves tonight and whatever. But um, so that distance is actually getting shorter and shorter in babies that are born male and a big problem with that also comes undescended testicles or one testicle, one ovary. So they've changed the word hermaphrodite to intersex as it's more PC Mm -hmm. uh, because more babies are being born this way. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? And it really is contributed to something called phthalate syndrome. And one of the leading researchers on this topic is Dr. Shanna Swan, who wrote the book countdown that I showed you guys where she talks about the fertility crisis. And she did a study with Mount Sinai and Hebrew University in 2017 that predicted men to be infertile by the year 2045. And even she joined this study because she was skeptical of all these claims being made of sperm production decreasing. And it's decreased 60% since the 70s. So she did the study and they accounted for guys who were sick and super overweight and, you know, all this stuff, they accounted for all that. And still the numbers are deteriorating. And, and literally the weirdest thing was like the exposure to this stuff from the mom 
when she's pregnant can affect a man's sperm production when he's older, which is like, what? Yeah. So it's crazy, but it's producing this more feminine looking man. They're not born with the test levels or at least their testicles don't descend. Mm -hmm. So they're automatically lower testosterone. If you have undescended testicles or if you have like a varicocele or something, you're going to have lower testosterone. So these guys are being born more feminized and it's created this obvious issue where it's like, what do we do? No one talks about this, but it literally is a lot of those chemicals and it's crazy, but honestly, like I, sometimes I feel like I'm like this whack job. Who's like, you know, giving this information and I'm the messenger. Like it's literally the stuff I've studied. I've read the studies, like they're legit. The graphs that they show, it's like mind blowing that there's a direct correlation between plastics going up and sperm production going down. Yeah. I had a conversation with uh, my dad. He's 70 next month. And uh, we're just talking about uh, friends, social people in my circle who've struggled um, uh, to have kids and stuff like that. Yeah. And there, the number is, you know, there's a number, there's a, a larger number to my dad. He, and he said, he said that never happened in my day. And he just said, if it did, no one talked about it. He's like, but when my, when my friend said, Hey, we're going to have a baby, there'd be a baby in 10 months. Like it would yeah. be there. And he said, it's interesting because now he's noticing that it's a much more common thing. Now, you know, couples are struggling to reproduce. And would you say that that is obviously because of, you know, testosterone levels or, or are the female hormones too? just our society affecting everything? It is. I mean, you know, so it used to like traditionally be put on the woman, like obviously, oh, something's wrong with her. And then the couple would go to the doctor so she could get checked out. But then it became more prominent that a lot of guys also, because it's like sperm production doesn't mean just total sperm in general. It means like the sperm motility and like if they're actually like the winning sperm, like how many winning sperm does a guy have? And, And so it's measuring that. And so, so just so we know, winning, winning sperm are ones that can fertilize an egg. Right. right? Like the dominant ones, you know, some of them are like, so if you don't have any winning sperm, what's an ejaculation? I don't know. 10 billion. I forgot. Okay. Let's say it's 10. I just had a thought. Say it's 10 billion and you don't have any winning sperm. You have 10 billion losers. Yeah. Yeah. 10 billion losers. It's tough for guys here. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely nowadays, everyone knows someone who's done IVF, right? We all have a friend who has gone through it, maybe more friends. And that wasn't the case. Like your dad was saying, like when I was growing up, like that really, you know, it was like this massive fear of getting pregnant as a teenager. Like we all like, literally, it was like the worst thing that can happen to you. Hot hot bath before date night. Holy shit. Yeah. I played played that game. (laughs) Dude, it, it was awful. But then it's like, what are really the odds nowadays? And a big part of that is female birth control because women think as soon as I go off birth control, I'm going to get pregnant. And it does happen to some women, but literally it's chemical castration in a way because you're suppressing ovulation. Ovulation is when a woman can get pregnant. So if you suppress that with fake hormones for years, cause they're on birth control now earlier and earlier, because of it, 60% of women are put on birth control as a teenager for something not having to do with 
preventing pregnancy. It's either like cramps or just uncontrollable or heavy bleeding or all of that. Doctors don't know how to figure that out and, and handle it via nutrition and exercise and all that, which I don't blame them. They're not trained for that, but girls are just handed the birth control pill at like 14, 15 years old. So if they're on that for, okay, they're 25, maybe they want to start having kids when they're 30. Like that's 15 years now that they've been suppressed. It's half their life. Yeah. So it's going to, it's going to cause problems and they're going to have to look at alternative methods for pregnancy. So you mentioned before low testosterone can affect motility on men. You talked about hormone castration, I think was the word you use for females um, with birth control. Does low levels of testosterone affect men and women similar from a sexual function or, or not? Uh, yes and no. So like they're, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, libido. Yeah, libido. I have diet brain today. Uh, <laughs> libido is affected mildly from women. I mean, it, it's, it's men and women are obviously a little bit different. So women have to focus on estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone and thyroid. Uh, men also have testosterone and thyroid, but mainly testosterone. So when guys are low in testosterone, it's pretty much this, um, all cause of like drop in energy levels and everything we talked about earlier, sex drive as well. But nowadays, like there's three things that go into sex drive for guys. Number one would be like the brain. The brain is really the biggest suppressor, I would say, because if there's no signal from the brain to the testicles to produce testosterone, let alone blood flow to produce an erection, then obviously something is suppressing that signal. Usually it's stress and it can be stress that maybe they feel they don't feel, and it can be under eating, overeating, lack of exercise, emotional stress, like hello pandemic, like during the pandemic, especially the beginning, I had more guys question their TRT protocol. More of them question themselves as a, a man because of erection issues that they never had and they didn't know why. And I'm like, hi, we're going through something we've never gone through before. Mm-hmm. The second thing would be blood flow. So do they have any type of vascular problem? Do they have, you know, issues producing nitrous oxide, stuff like that? That's not usually an issue in more of the younger guys. And then the third thing would be the biochemistry part or testosterone, because you do need testosterone to orchestrate an erection. But however, it's not the only thing. Most guys suffer from stress causing a lack of libido or erection strength or frequency and stuff like that, because you have to be in a parasympathetic state to produce an erection. And it's very hard to teeter back and forth. And since we're talking to uh, fitness professionals, the analogy I like to use, like if somebody's in like a one to three RM back squat rep, like you're mid rep trying to push up, you know, you're shaking, like your head is bright red, and your love interest walks in front of you and it's like, yo, let's go, let's get it on. How the fuck do you think you're really going to change gears right away and be able to produce an erection like mid squat rep? That is the same effect that stress has on your body. So it's very difficult to switch gears like that, especially 
if you're super focused on something and most guys, when they're overworked and overstressed, it's extremely difficult to switch gears into a rest and digest. And I'm happy and calm state in order to obtain an erection and get a high sex drive. Mm-hmm. So that's where a lot of that comes from. And women get that same effect. Um, it's just women's health is so much trickier and complicated that I do not claim to ever be an expert in that. I have friends who are, and I usually just push off any women's health questions to them when it's like super detailed. Cause I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like I know the basics, but when it comes to dosing them a certain way, like I'm on testosterone and I literally just, just started talking more about it because I was like, you know, I don't want people thinking this is why I look the way I look, but there's always going to be people that think that fine, let them think that. But the amount of tests that I'm on compared to like guys is like a fraction. So does it help your, my libido? Sure. I I never really had an issue with it, but until I start dieting really hard and now I'm like, what is sex? Like, I don't care. Same thing. You're prepping for a show or a shoot, eh? I have a photo shoot in like in a week and a half. Okay. (laughs) That's why I can't remember words right now. Yeah. uh, I'm like, I'm like your tan, your traps lean. Like yeah. you got to be getting ready for something when your trap is leaving. Yeah. And it's like, this is not a sustainable way to live. And no one, like literally it is so, it is so much energy to think of sex, let alone have sex that it's like, that's not on my priority list. And so mm-hmm. that's not a testosterone thing. Cause I'm on testosterone. It's a stress thing. Cause dieting is a stressor exercise mm-hmm. is a stressor. So it's understanding, all right, what is impacting you the most when it comes to your sex drive why might it be low? And then figuring that out. Cause like people don't even know that if they don't eat enough, it helps them not be tired. Like that's really basic. And cardiovascular health is important for, for men's erections. Correct. If you have cardiovascular disease, you could have dysfunction. Yep. Totally. Um, most guys don't have a good aerobic platform to build off of because Mm -hmm. either They've been set, they've been taught that they can only do hit and it will solve all of life's problems or they don't need to do cardio, or they think if they do any type of cardio, their muscles will fall off. They'll lose all their gains. And you've never seen a bicep fall off, land on the treadmill and roll away. Okay. The day I do, (laughs) then I will believe all these myths, but that, that is something that like people don't realize how important it is because a lot of the times, like if we get a client who comes to us with high blood pressure and they're sitting, you know, maybe they're sitting in your office or they're sitting on a zoom consult and they're like hyperventilating and they're sweating, but they live in Alaska or something like clearly there's a problem here. Am I going to take this person and say, all right, you're going to do 15 on 30 off intervals and go back squat really heavy. Like that stuff's going to increase their blood pressure. They're not ready for that. They're not conditioned for that. The quickest way to lower blood pressure is aerobic training. The quickest way to increase red blood cells, aerobic training, increase mitochondria, aerobic training. What does that do for us? That allows us to use the carbs and the fats that we eat and, and the fats that are already stored on us, like that energy, we can access that. We can't if we're sitting and we're just going through glycolysis while we breathe because we're so stressed out. Mm-hmm. So. It's important. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as, as we come towards the end here, I have about 40 more questions. So we, we gotta, 40. Oh. we're not going to get to them though. Yeah, I want to smash a couple here uh, quickly. So can you just simply explain what is TRT? When would somebody use it? Um, So start with that. TRT is? So TRT is restoration of optimal hormone function. 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 Got to get that function up, guys. I get that function. So (laughs) it's not a cycle. So steroids are a cycle. Yes, it's a steroid hormone. However... It's basically restoring you to the levels that you used to produce when you felt good and felt like yourself. So it can be delivered via many different methods. The most optimal will be injection or scrotal cream. Anything else is hot garbage. So when you say uh, scrotal, it's hard not to give when someone says scrotal cream. I know. When when you say um, restored to optimal levels, for the average person who's never been tested with, with the way it goes is, okay, I get blood work done. Okay. Your testosterone is here below normal. We're now going to put you on TRT and then retest until it gets to the, the normal or optimal. And then would someone stay on? Would they change their dosage? How does that work? So most guys keep the same dosage for roughly about three months and then they'll get tested either uh, at that three month mark, some guys earlier, um, it depends on the practitioner. And it again is really subjective. Like, how do you feel, you know? And, and if, if you have achieved symptom resolution, there's no reason to change the dosage. If you're still feeling all these symptoms and you just don't feel any better dosage might be tweaked. And yes, it is a lifetime commitment. And many guys are like, but it'll suppress my own, you know, production. And I'm like, yes, but your own production will never get any higher, especially if you've tried everything. It it, it will never supersede what you've done from a lifestyle perspective if it's still causing symptoms. And then the amount that an individual would utilize, does body size, body shape affect that? You know, like a 300 pound person versus 150 pound person, would the dosages be different? I mean, it can, but like, like I have a friend who is, I think he's like six, one, maybe 185. Mm-hmm. And he needs like, you know, 300 milligrams a week, which is very rare. Most guys are between 100 and 200 milligrams. But for him to feel good, he needs 300 milligrams. And he's not massive. And, he, and he's not like overly jacked. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's really it, everybody's different in the way they metabolize it and utilize it and stuff. So you know, one thing that is standard is that the more somebody injects, the better they'll feel. Mm. So similar to how like no one does crunches anymore in the fitness industry, like no one really injects once a week or less. That's like super antiquated. So you, you want at least twice a week, minimal more Mm. is better, but I get it's annoying to have to pin yourself every day. So twice a week, most guys feel really good twice a week. Mm. And then for females, how do the dosages vary? Obviously women have, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know if the numbers, 20 or 30% less or, or times less than men on average from a health perspective, testosterone. Like what's, what's well, the difference? Their, their dosages are obviously going to be a lot less. Yeah. So um, like I take maybe six milligrams a week. So if the starting dose for most guys is a hundred, mm-hmm. a lot less. 
Um, some women, when they're in menopause or approaching menopause, feel better at higher levels. I would say, again, the delivery method matters too. So I do injections and I do injections of like literally like half a milligram. Um, the most a woman would probably inject is maybe 20 or 25 at once. But that is like if somebody who's completely like no testosterone, like negative testosterone, some women, they, they feel good on that. Um, and then women do better on the cream than guys, unless it's scrotal cream, they can do really well. I was going to say, is the, does the name change or does females still utilize scrotal cream? No, it changes. <laughs> <laughs> I started on the cream. I just called it my scrotal cream, but, <laughs> yeah. and then, I mean, you can put it down there, but you know, you can put it under your arms and behind your knees. Guys are like, like the scrotum, the, the skin on the scrotum is like eight times more permeable. So it's better for them to put it there. That's nuts. You are a dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So last question here. I know, I know a lot of my listeners, they, they train people, they train themselves or their exercisers who are regulars in the gym. If they're sitting there and they're listening to this, they're probably like, oh man, I, just, I learned a whole bunch of stuff. I have a feeling I'm in that category or a client's in that category. What's, you know, one or two simple things that someone could do to affect their testosterone in a positive way right off the bat. What advice would you give someone? I would say if, if you're most fitness professionals train too much and don't eat enough and we live on stimulants. So it would be like, all right, take inventory to what you're doing to your body. Maybe take a diet break. If you've been dieting forever, maybe spend time trying to build muscle when you haven't and eating more and prioritizing your sleep. We tend to not prioritize our sleep because we're usually up early or we'll do anything to take another client for the money. Honestly, it took me a while, but I started realizing like sometimes you got to prioritize yourself and whether that's not taking a client to get a training session in, or it's not taking a client to get more sleep it's okay because the trade-off is going to be better. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that would be like the number one thing because it's really being truthful to yourself because that vicious cycle of like no sleep, early client, live on coffee, hate life, that energy is going to be, you know, your clients are going to pick that up, mm -hmm. especially if you're miserable. And, you know, back in the day training like six, seven, eight people a day, no one can last that long doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's very common in early careers from trainers and eventually everyone falls into the pitfall. But then once you dig yourself out just a little more or less two clients, get a little bit more sleep, get off all the stims. Life's totally different. And raise your price. If you haven't raised your price, raise your price. I'm writing that down now. Sorry to all my clients. Um, <laughs> Ali, you have, I'm going to give uh, all your contact information into the show notes for anyone's listening right now and stuff. You've just finalized your testosterone school. You want to give a little uh, explanation of what that is? So everyone always asks me at every uh, conference, where do I learn what you learn? And I'm like, okay, well, attend like a thousand medical conferences, go to different doctors. Like it's just, it's obscene money that I've spent over the course of the years. But it, it really paid off because now I've learned obviously a lot, but there really is no one resource to like get started with the truth. So I created it. So 
I created an online course. It's self-paced. It's 12 modules. And it starts from introduction of like, what is testosterone? Why do we need it? Goes through all the different lab markers you want to order, how to talk to your doctor, how to train, how to set up a diet, um, basics of TRT, you know, all the different delivery methods, injections, size of the needle, syringe, how to inject, like all that stuff, um, the science of erections and boners and how all that stuff happens and everything. So uh, it, it, I poured my heart and soul into that and it, it's many hours. I don't know how many hours right now. It's a lot. Um, and then I include four exclusive interviews with practitioners that I trust the most talking on things like prostate cancer, heart attacks, um, masculinity, stuff like that. So I say I might be biased, but it's really good product. <laughs> it sounds like a, it sounds like a phenomenal product. And um, I know your next one, you said it's going to open in some time. Uh, I'm going to get in on that one there. I love to learn and I haven't found a, a resource. I haven't looked for a resource in this scenario, but um, after this conversation today, uh, I'm thirsty. I want to know more. I want to know more as a fitness professional myself. So Project Fitness Podcast, we thank you for taking the time to come on here and have a chat with us. And um, yeah, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Bye, Ali. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.